Welcome everyone to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. I am thrilled to have Doug Preston and Lincoln Child back today. This is probably our third or fourth conversation on Authors on the Air over the years. And um, we're going to talk about the new book, The Cabinet of Dr. Leng. This is another Pendergast book, a FBI agent Pendergast. And listen carefully because throughout this interview, we're going to have a question that you need to answer. And if you do, you're going to win a free hardcover copy of the cabinet of Dr. Link. Welcome, Doug, and welcome, Lincoln. Thank, Thank you. you. It's good to it's good to see you in person. I, I was fortunate enough to be able to meet Link over at the Southwest Readers Fest here in Fort Myers, Florida, a couple of years ago. He actually drew a microphone on the book, um, and I appreciated that. And I'll see you out at, at Santa Fe Literary Festival, correct? Doug? Yes. Yes. And tell us who you're interviewing because I think it's a just going to be a tremendous conversation. I'll be talking to John Irving, uh, one of my literary heroes, uh, you know, who wrote, of course, The World According to Garp and many other excellent novels. How exciting for you. Do you have a favorite of all of uh, John Irving's novels? I think I like The Cider House Rules or uh, A Prayer for Owen Meany. Those are my two favorites. And The World According to Garp has certain images in my head I wish I could get rid of. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if that makes it a favorite or not, but <laughs> it's rem it, you remember it anyway. <laughs> oh my God, reading that book as a teenager, it'll never leave me. There you go. Lincoln, speaking of, who was one of your literary heroes? Um, at a very early age, I guess it was Michael Crichton. Um, I had a lot of heroes that were already dead for a hundred years. Um, but of the living heroes, I really, I think he was the one who, for me, was somebody who not only had the education to um, uh, make his books really interesting and educational to me, but he, he really knew how to craft a story and wrote techno thrillers even before they existed. Um, I tried reading more serious books like Gravity's Rainbow and uh, War and Peace and you know, toss them aside for, for more entertaining stuff like Dickens and Lovecraft, uh, and in particular, Crichton. And after him, um, Thomas Harris for his first several books. Yeah, amazing writer, too. And the Carré. Um, oh, yeah. One of my favorites, the reason I love spy books so much, and I still have one of the originals back on my shelf here, is absolutely one of my favorites. So let's talk about this new, The Cabinet of Dr. Lang. And, and here's the interesting thing that I, I was thinking about, Doug, and you mentioned it earlier when we were in the green room. You talked about the cabinet of curiosities. Is cabinet a theme? The cabinets are a theme throughout the Pendergast books? Yes, it is. Uh, Pendergast lives in a mansion on Riverside Drive in New York City that, that is itself a cabinet of curiosities. And that, of course, dates back to uh, the, the days when wealthy uh, Englishmen would travel the world and collect strange objects that they found, and they put them in these cabinets. And these cabinets then became the natural history museums of the world. So uh, the Ashmolean cabinet became the Oxford uh, Museum of Natural History and so forth. So yes, cabinets are definitely a theme 
in our books. And of course, many of our novels, Pendergast novels take place in the American or the Museum of Natural History in New York, which is itself the greatest cabinet of curiosities in the world. Speaking of um, histories and museums, you yourself are uh, very, very close. You yourself, D Doug, are involved with history museums. You go on archaeological digs, or, and I noticed that sitting behind you is a cast of a very rare type of creature. Can you tell us about it? Well, that's a cast of the only skull of nanotyrannosaur, which is a controversial fossil because some say it was a baby Tyrannosaurus rex, and others say that it's a new species. And that was given to me by Robert De Palma, who is a, uh, the subject of one of my articles in the New Yorker magazine called The Day the Dinosaurs Died. And uh, it's a nonfiction so, piece. So you have uh, collectibles that are unique as well, as Pendergast and, and, and other people who like that type of thing. Am I assuming correctly? I, I have a lot of crazy things that I've collected. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them are quite repulsive. <laughs> well, there you go. So, Lincoln, are you a collector by any chance? I'm afraid I am to the detriment of my, my exchequer. Yes. Um, I collected Arkham House books, um, the whole run of those, and a lot of other um, weird fiction from small presses. Although that seems to not be in, in favor anymore, apparently. Uh, fountain pens, uh, washes, um, old audio equipment, you know, uh, paintings. Um, and guitars, look on behind. Guitars. I was going to yeah. say guitars. I yeah. can see behind you. You've got two of them right there. I'm like the guy who uh, has a model railroad set and doesn't work very well. And he keeps thinking if he has another post office or another, you know, junction, it'll sure. all come together, but it doesn't. Same thing with me, you know, um, but luckily at, at the ripe old age of 65, I've begun to divest myself rather than add. Really? Yeah. Uh, well, I will tell you that I collect fountain plant pens also. I love them. It's what I learned to write cursively with because that was our parochial upbringing. But I also have a fountain pen and inkwell that's made completely of glass. And it's really beautiful. I'm afraid to even display it because if my grandkids come over, I'm afraid that'll be it. <laughs> so. I have one like that too. All glass except for the copper or brass top. Where you yes. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Lincoln, uh, I'm a, be a beneficiary of his divestment. He uh, he recently divested a watch. Look at that. Where, let's see. I'm trying to get it. There you go. The beauty. Uh, nice. I'm so glad you're wearing that. Thank you. I wear it every day. It's. I used to collect watches also, and I mean, I had a massive collection of watches, all different kinds, expensive, inexpensive, and um, and I liked it. Except then. I decided I didn't want to be on a time clock anymore. So I don't, I have one clock. It's about this big and it sits in my living room. I, so I'm, I'm not working in a time on time, you know, it's one of those things. So, uh, but let's get back to the book. Who's going to start and give me a synopsis. Lincoln, will you do that? Of course. Um, it's hard to give the book a synopsis without talking about the books that have come before. Okay. Um, and because while this book is a, is a standalone story, as we we work hard to make sure that all of our books are, it 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 really is the uh, it picks up where 
Bloodless, our previous penalty ass book, Sentence of Vanna, leaves off. Um, you don't need to have read that, but it it uh, it, it helps. Um, and uh, oddly enough, Doug and I are going to be in Savannah in a couple of days as the keynote speakers at their um, book festival. Oh, so fun. we're looking forward to that. And we hope that they will forgive us for trashing their city fictitiously <laughs> in our book. Um, but the funny thing is that you don't need to have read Bloodless to follow the story um, which involves Pendergast and Constance, who is his ward. But she has a much more complicated and sinister background than that, which actually goes all the way back to our book, The Cabinet of Curiosities, which is really the first book where we really took off that really hit a chord with readers. And so, you know, Doug and I have written other trilogies or series of books that deal with him, Pendergast's brother, Pendergast's wife. But there's this character, Dr. Lang, out there who's really the most sinister and evil of all of them. And we realized he hasn't been dealt with one way or the other. And so this is another book this a penultimate book in a series that will f once and for all take care of him and maybe some others too. Interesting. So Doug, when you first created the Pendergast character or was that link that did that? I remember you telling me that he was going to be a peripheral character at first, but he was, your fans just raved about it. Is that correct? Do I have that memory? Correct? Yeah, you do. You do have that memory. Correct. In fact, uh, the way the character came about was Lincoln and I were writing our first novel together, Relic. And I wrote the first few chapters and I sent them to him and he read them and he called me up and said, well, these are great chapters, but you've got two cops in here, one Irish American, one Italian American. So they're the same character. And what we should do is fold them together and then let's come up with a detective that no one has ever thought of before, somebody really unusual. And at this point, I was really irritated with Lincoln for not you know, appreciating what I'd written. Uh, and I, so I very sarcastically said, oh, uh, you mean we need a detective like an albino from New Orleans? Oh my God. And Lincoln said, well, yeah, you know, maybe we can work with that. Um, now, Pendergast is not albino, but he's just very pale. And as we talked about this character, um, he sort of came to life in front of us. But we didn't real, first of all, we were only gonna write one novel, not anymore. And he was sort of a somewhat peripheral character, but our readers just fell in love with him. And he, and he also kind of took over. I mean, he seized the narrative and uh, inserted himself where he didn't, where we necess didn't necessarily want him, but he was always there. So he became our main character. It's interesting that I, I thought I remembered this conversation from the first time I spoke to you. And I will tell you what happened. After I read that book, I went and bought every other book. And I have the complete, every single book that you've done together with Pendergast. So uh, I have we all of them. You. 
uh, on my show. I've read all of them. I read them. Okay. And of course, I read the one that you said in Miami Beach. And I read the one you said over here in Southwest Florida. I've read those like a couple times a piece because they're so pleasurable and so enjoyable. So if that was, if it was your aim to create a memorable character, bing, you did it. It is fantastic. He is fantastic. I just can't visualize him. I, I mean, I pictured him a tall, muscular person, but lean, like you said, very fair skin, white hair. I don't know if he's a handsome man. I don't, I don't, cause I've seen all your fan art that, that do the pictures of him and it still doesn't fit what I see in my head. It, mm. Is it intentional that you do that? Well, the interesting thing about you mentioning that is the one question we are always asked at book signings is what actor should play Pendergast? And, you know, we've been doing him now so long that the people we first mentioned have aged out of the role. Um, but I, in all honesty, I've got a, a, a vague idea of what he looks like. Um, better than vague, actually. But... Um, you know, uh, he looks like Christopher Walken in. Um, uh, oh, okay. In in um, the Dogs of War or mm -hmm. um, for your eyes, that Bond film he did. To me, he does, but taller and uh, and leaner. Um, but that was years ago. You know, I don't know if Doug has somebody in mind, um, but he's definitely he, good looking. Do you, Doug? Yeah, you know, Christopher Walken really is. Uh, the closest that I can come, um, maybe in uh, Wyatt Earp. Wasn't he in Wyatt? No, I'm thinking of uh, who's that actor who's in Wyatt? Oh Earp? yeah, you're it's thinking Doc of um, Doc Holliday. Doc yeah. Holliday. I'm uh, your Huckleberry. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. Okay, no, no, it wasn't Christopher Walken. It was anyway. That sort of Val Kilmer. Yes, I think. Yeah, who? Val Kilmer. Val, Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. That's it. The young Val Kilmer. To me, looks a lot like how I envision Pendergast. You know, wow. sort of pale, lean, yeah. a little bit strange. Uh, you know, a little bit just a little unsettling as a person. You know, he's not he's not a warm, friendly human being. And you know, Lincoln and I, we would love to have dinner with him, but I'm I'm sure that we'd be relieved at the end of dinner that he was eating. <laughs> Do you know that there was a, a Willem Dafoe would also make a good Pendergast, and he actually played an FBI agent in a movie called Boondock Saints, which was a really funny, I mean, eccentrically funny detective movie. Um, and it's a cult film, but nobody else has heard of it. And so if you can imagine some amalgam of a young blonde Christopher Walken and a gaunt-looking Val Kilmer, and a young um, Willem Dafoe, you know, tall, and uh, that's him. And unfortunately, Pam, I have to tell you the very sad news about this, and that is that Paramount owns character rights to Pendergast, and even though they've told us they have no intention of ever doing anything with those rights, they have absolutely refused to release them to anybody else. And they're like a they're like a toothless dog with a bone, you know, who growls when you try to take it away but can't chew it themselves. I well, mean, that's really unfortunate because what an exceptional film that would be, kind of, you know, uh, 
an amalgamation again of all the books. If you could get something out like that, I would sure I'm sure it would be a hit because I listen, I'd even go to the movie to see that. And I, well, I don't we, go to film. <laughs> we've had, we've had, we've had many offers and we've even had, you know, million dollar offers for Pendergast and, and uh, Paramount says, Nope, Nope. Can't have him back. He's ours. All ours. <laughs> a toothless dog with a bone. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but that's, that's very memorable. That's really unfortunate. I want to talk to you um, about another book, and that is Diablo Mesa. Uh, you mentioned this to me in the green room, and of course I have all your books, as you know, right behind me here. But um, I, what's happening that we're going to talk to about Diablo Mesa? Something's going on, and so I'm curious. Doug, tell me what's happening with Diablo Mesa. Well, you know, Diablo Mesa takes place in... New Mexico, right, and it revolves around the 1947 Roswell incident, right, in which a supposedly a UFO crashed in this remote area, and it's we had this idea, wouldn't it be interesting to conduct a professional archaeological excavation of the crash site to see if there's anything there, which has you know, never been done. And that's what the premise of the novel is. And, and uh, so our, our main character, Nora Kelly, is involved. And as she's surveying the site, she finds two murder victims on, you know, right there at the Roswell site whose faces have been obliterated with acid to, 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 in an attempt to, to uncover their, uh, you know, hide their, cover their ID, right. Yeah, and uh, so then the FBI get involved and our other character, Corey Swanson, who's a new FBI agent, comes in uh, on the case. And so that's how the novel starts. And then, of course, as they excavate, they find something very, very surprising. Um, not woo-woo UFOs or whatever, uh, you know, I can't say anymore. Right. So I like, to, I like to add that uh, Corey and Nora are a spinoff series of ours. Right. Um, because they both appeared in Pendergast books yes. and they were both uh, audience uh, favorites. And Doug and I both liked them as characters. And you know, with one being an archeologist and the other being a FBI agent and both very strong women, they seemed to us to be a really good series where we could be not quite so eccentric, you know, and- um, uh, But as, still maintain a good story. Yeah, I, I yeah. get it. I, I yeah. totally get it. Yeah. I know that they're very popular. So that's Diablo Mesa. Is there a story? Is there a follow up to this one coming up? We're working on it now. Oh, we're almost done. How but fun! It's, it's, it's not a series. Those Nora Kelly, Corey Swanson books are all standalone novels, so you don't have to read them in any particular order. Right. But I think there's character development. If you do, you see the development of the characters as you go from book to book, which to me is very important. Just like the Pendergast novels, you can read certainly individually on these books. But like I said, the first time I spoke to you two, I went and started from the beginning and I read the books sequentially because I learned more and more about Pendergast's world and his his uh, companions and his compadres and the people that he trusts and work with. So it, it, to me, it was a fun way to read. Well, you're, you're right. I mean, in the very first book, there have been three so far in that series. 
neither Nora nor Corey knew the other one knew Pendergast, and we have fun teasing the reader as to when they'd find that out. So there is, you know, they weren't particularly warm with each other, you know, Nora and Corey, but over time they've formed a bond. Formed that, a bond, right. yes. And so there is there is that kind of a of an arc developing, but they are standalone books. So we're going to leave a little something something for people who've read the book or maybe who want to win a copy of this book. I am going to gift the hardcover copy of Preston and Child, The Cabinet of Dr. Leng, to someone who watches this and knows the answer to the question of, is it Constance's address we're going to talk about? Or Constance and Mary. Okay, Constance and Mary. What is the name of the street? On which they were born. On which they were born. And the answer is... Water Street, W-A-T-T-E-R, correct? Well, that's how she spells it, yeah. Okay. She had misspelled it. It was, yeah. and of course, it is a street in New York City. Right. Okay, so keep that in mind. This is, uh, you know, before we move on. You are touring right now for this book? Yes, we're about to uh, head off to the uh, Savannah Book Festival, where Lincoln and I are delivering the keynote address. Oh, fun. That's another place I have to go then. I, I have to go. I want to start going to literary festivals versus conferences because I think they're so much more fun. Do you, uh, either of you ever go to conferences? The, like, BoucherCon or Thriller Fest or any of those? We went to many Thriller Fests, yeah. And we, not anymore? Well, you know, we're, we're, we're liking travel less and less these days. You know, the airlines... <laughs> Are so abusive of their poor customers really is. that we yeah. don't really like to to travel anymore. I don't blame you. If I can travel someplace by car and you know spend a night and come back, I'm happy doing that. Exactly. It just it's just not as much fun. I I agree with you. you know, Pam, um, the I, last time last time I saw you was when you mentioned it in in uh, Fort Myers. That was right before COVID lockdown. descended. Yep. That People was the last event I about it. That's and the last event I ever went to until the end of last year when I I, I popped over to uh, Minneapolis, stayed in the lobby, and um, and then my friend and I took off and went to Fargo, North Dakota, because we'd never been there. Um, and just to say we ticked another state off our list. You know? To get the breezes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm slowly going back, but I'm cautiously going back. I don't like to go into the rooms where everybody's packed in. It's always a super spreader event. And I don't, you know, at, at our age, I don't need that. <laughs> you know, I just don't. Um, are you going any place after Savannah? No, that's it. That's and it. you were, you were writing again for the follow-up to, or the next book in, in, uh, in uh, the, after Diablo, Diablo Mesa, correct? Do you that's, have a working title that we can get a scoop on? We, we do. It's called, uh, Dead Mountain, and wow. our manuscript is due in April, so we're really frantically working on that. Wow. And it again takes place in New Mexico, in the Manzano Mountains of New Mexico. Now, tell me about New Mexico. Uh, Link, You re did you recently move to Florida? I mean, within the last 10 years or so, or have you always been here? I've been here for about six years. Yeah. And you came from where? Uh, New York City area, oh. in New Jersey for a while in New York. Yeah. Um, I've lived in 
you know, went to school near where Doug is in, in the Verde Valley of Arizona. But Doug sort of covers the West Coast for us. And he's so, been kind enough to come to Florida for the last two book tours we've done. And we've gone all over the state twice. We just finished a tour uh, a few weeks ago. And we've had, we had a great turnout post-COVID. Yes. We weren't sure how it would go, but it went very well. Oh, good. You go to bookstores primarily and some literary festivals, I'm assuming. Yes, libraries. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry that I've never been able to go, but, I, but I've met Link and I'm going to see you, Doug, in Santa Fe, which I'm excited about. Tell everybody where is the best place to find out about you and about your very cool newsletter. Well, you know, we have a website, uh, uh, com. We have a Facebook page, uh, which is not hard to find. But we do, the thing is, we have this newsletter. And we only send it out 12 times a year. So if you give us your email address, we're not going to, like, as so many people do, like, bombard you with emails. And we only send out emails that are really interesting and fun and unusual to read. So we're not going to like try to sell you something or push something onto you. So we have a very, very avid following of yes, this email do. list. So if you go to our website, then you could sign up for the newsletter. Um, and we never uh, share your email address with anybody. But there are all kinds of fun things. We give away free stories. We have interviews with Pendergast and so on and so forth. I have to encourage everyone, if you've not getting this newsletter, I actually save them because they're so much fun. And especially if Pendergast is talking and, you know, he's doing his soliloquy or something. It's so interesting. And I like the fan art of people. You must get bombarded with fan fan art, I'm assuming. We do. We have wonderful artists who who read our books and it's incredible. We did at one point we had a, a fan art like festival where we invited all our readers to send art in. It was amazing. I couldn't believe the talent out there. Oh yeah. Um, Link, what's your favorite part of the newsletter? Um, I enjoy the, the things that we do now and then that surprise our readers completely. You know, I mean, we, we offer stories that are available nowhere else. Sometimes we have interviews, like you mentioned with Pendergast and, um, it's, it's a lot of fun for us to to let the story, the backstory of Pendergast spread out, you know, because there's so many things we've hinted at in our books we'll, we'll never get around to writing about, but we can use the newsletter as a way to sort of spread out a bit. And so giving our, our, our most avid fans an extra deep look, you know, a deep dive into Pendergast, um, I think it's fun for us and it's rewarding for them. Well, I, I I think every time I read when you interview Pendergast, he's very dismissive of you both. I, I Understandably so. We're <laughs> him all the time. Yeah, he's, 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 he's a little bit uh, sarcastic. With he, us. He's very sarcastic. I think he's <laughs> mellowed, though, a little bit, you know, or at least he's he resigned to us, I think. Yeah, I, I think he's starting to appreciate us a little bit more than he used to. He didn't like us invading his privacy. But uh, but but I'm just going to add about the newsletter. I think my favorite part is the Blackout Society. Yes. And what this is, is our characters, a small group of our characters, have gathered in the library at the mansion on Riverside Drive, and there's been a New York City blackout. So they light candles, and they each of them 
starts telling a ghost story, one after the other. That's the Blackout Society. It is. I have to once again reiterate what a wonderful newsletter is. I am not one generally to sign up for newsletters, but it's so much fun and so entertaining. I always have a grin on my face when I'm reading it. So thank you. Uh, Douglas Preston, Lincoln Child on tour. If you're in the Savannah area, please go to the Savannah Book Fair, the literary festival up there, and you get to meet these two incredible gentlemen. Thank you so much for coming back on with me. I, I really have appreciated this. It's been so much fun to see you in person. Well, thank you, Pam. We really enjoy talking to you. Thank yes, you. Thank you, Pam. And thanks You're to absolutely. all who are watching. You are absolutely welcome. I'm going to say thank you to everyone. I will see you again with another interesting guest very soon. Thank you, Mom and Dad. Be well, everyone. <laughs>